Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Job 19 says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. Wow. Love that. Going to have a great hour. David Wheaton's going to be joining me in just a couple of minutes or less. And then Arlene Pelican will be on the program. And she's going to talk about some of the disappointments that uh, some of the high schoolers are having because of canceled seasons and and sporting events and events in their lives that they would normally be looking forward to participating in and how they're dealing with that and as how parents and grandparents we can be encouraging them and coaching them and giving some wonderful uh, wisdom from her so that's all ahead let me take a little break and bring on david i'm faith radio manager neil Stavum with a special welcome to new listeners in west central minnesota hearing faith radio on 103.3 fm the newest signal in our growing network of stations. And welcome as well to listeners in the Minnesota River Valley, hearing Faith Radio in Mankato at 89.1, or along the North Shore in Grand Marais at 91.9. All these new FM signals have come on the air in the last few months, bringing the Bible teaching and talk programming to a growing family of listeners because of the financial investment of dedicated friends of this ministry. It's your support now and over the years that has allowed our network to grow, with new FM signals throughout the Upper Midwest and in Hartford, but also through online listening in the Faith Radio app, allowing thousands to connect with us digitally from across the country and around the world. Your gifts are having a growing impact and lives are being changed because of your partnership. Thanks for continuing to stand with us. You can make a gift today at MyFaithRadio.com. It is so nice to talk to David Wheaton, my friend. He's a radio host, an author, a speaker, a former professional tennis player, and an all-around wonderful human being. David, welcome. Good to be with you today, Bill. Yeah, and I know you would say to God be the glory, and I think um, we would all agree. So Absolutely. Yeah. Anything I am or I, have done or say is all because of God's grace in my life. That is for sure. I get that. I you just, sh- shudder you, to think where I would be if he hadn't intervened in my life. And you just made your mom smile, just so you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. I, before we get to the business at hand, tell me how you scored Victor Davis Hanson on your show last Saturday. <laughs> yeah, well, for those who don't know who Victor Davis Hanson is, he is a sort of a historian and military history in the classics at Hoover Institution at Stanford. And he's just, he's a brilliant guy. And, um, you know, I, I followed him and read some of his columns. You'll see him appear on some of the cable news programs. And and uh, I was thinking you know, during the week before, as we were getting a topic for our own radio program, that, you know, so much has been talked about about the coronavirus. We're all kind of ad nauseum about it at this point. But there's so many other things going on sort of behind it. And he had written a column on that very issue. And so I actually just contacted his office and uh, was surprised to have his assistant 
get back in touch and say, yeah, he'd, he'd be great. What time you want to do the interview? And I was thinking, wow, that was, I've had harder times getting people who are much <laughs> well, less well-known than uh, Victor Davis Hanson. But um, you must have heard the interview, and he's obviously very insightful. Very insightful and used a lot of words that I didn't know. So I had to. That's right. I had to listen to it a second time in the dictionary. But um, did you drop the, uh, you know, I went to Stanford two line? You know, just a little bit in the uh, in the pre-interview conversation, he didn't seem impressed. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was a, a great interview, and if anyone's interested, they can go to uh, thechristianworldview.org. That interview is posted online. You can listen to it, and uh, it's awesome, just so you know. All right. Um, let's get to uh, our business at hand. I want to get back to our discussion on Genesis. I think when we last left off... Uh, we were in the chapters around 9 and 10? We were. And so, you know, the the key point from the last interview, uh, there was a couple key points. This was just right after the flood. So there's the global flood, and then mm-hmm. Noah and his family get off uh, the boat, so to speak. And, uh, you know, what were some of the key things that happened? Well, the first thing God says after they get off the ark is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And that's going to be key for our discussion today when we discuss Babel and what happened with the confusion that took place when they tried to build the city and the Tower of Babel. Um, But this command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, this was the same command that God gave Adam and Eve at the very beginning. Now, life is starting over again. Noah and his sons and and, uh, daughter-in-laws are there, and they're going to start again. So he gives the same command over again. And this is interesting how... This is so rejected today, Bill. Um, you know, there's there's the idea out there, the worldview out there, the, the wrong idea that, you know, the earth is overpopulated, uh, we need great population control, um, we're ruining the environment, um, the idea that we should have less children, that's the socially and environmentally responsible thing to do because we're, we're destroying the earth, so there needs to be less of this. But this is exactly the opposite of what God tells Noah when they, when they get off the boat, off the ark. And so you can see how your worldview affects everything. If you believe that lie that, you know, we shouldn't be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that's going to affect everything in your life, even, you know, whether you want to have children or not. And it was interesting, after that interview, last time with you, Bill, I received a, an email from one of your listeners asking me the question, why Noah didn't have any children before he was 500 years old? We only have, you know, three, three sons of Noah. And and he had them after he was 500. Well, what was he doing for those first 500 years? <laughs> Good question. And he had and he, and he had no he had no children after he got off the ark either. After he was you know 600 years old, uh, when he was on, on the ark for that year. And and the answer to the question is the Bible is silent on this. He he could have had daughters. Sometimes the Bible doesn't mention when they have daughters, occasionally. Uh, but I think it's probably more likely he didn't have any children at all. Uh, maybe he wasn't able to conceive, as as many people are not able to do so today. Maybe he didn't want to bring children into the world, because remember what God said about the world at that time, that the world was incredibly wicked, mm-hmm. and, and that every thought of man's heart was evil continually. So he may have thought, I don't want to bring children into this world. So, But he did have, of course, three sons. He didn't have any after they got off the, <clears throat> got off the ark, which is an interesting detail. It was a good question by your listener. I never really thought about that before. You just assume, you know— that he had three sons, and that's the way it is. Well, yeah, it is kind of interesting why he was 500 years old and hadn't had any children yet. I think the other thing that came up in the interview last time, Bill, with regards to what happened after the flood is, of course, the rainbow. 
Um, you know, God puts a bow in, in, in the in the in the clouds in the in the sky after it rains as a as a promise that it's a covenant, it's an agreement between God and man that He's never going to destroy the earth by flood again. And He chooses this this ongoing sign of a, of a rainbow to put in the heavens. So every time we see a rainbow, we should just remember that God's goodness, His promise, never to destroy the earth like that again. And it's just, of course, so ironic and paradoxical that the, the homosexual movement today has appropriated the rainbow flag as a symbol of their movement, and that not too long after this, in Scripture, we see the whole destruction of Sodom, and Sodom was known, known of course, for its homosexuality. So that was another interesting aspect of the conversation last time. Yeah, thank you for that, uh, that little brush-up course, because chapters 9 and 10, it's interesting, and it's an interesting question you got sent from a listener. I find that really interesting, because if God says, be fruitful and multiply, there's not a big pool of people from which to choose from. You would think you need That's all people right. on board to be doing that. That's right. And, you know, it doesn't take long, though, you know, from Adam and Eve, and they have kids, and of course, you know, the, the kids married their sisters at that time. That's always a question that comes up. Uh, well, you have to remember the gene pool was very, very pure back then. There wasn't a lot of the uh, over time, the genetic pool becomes more and more compromised. So that wasn't a problem. But that was the case. And later, God forbade that, you know, to marry your your sisters. But at that time, obviously, there was no one else to marry. All right, David, let's move on then to chapter 11. And let's talk about the, the construction of Babel. Well, this is known, this is another one of those Sunday school uh uh, lessons, you know, with the Tower of Babel and what happened there and the confusion of languages. And it's, I think it's actually a, sh a fairly short portion here. It's about, I guess it's, it's about eight verses or so. I just want to read the first three or four verses because I think it really gives the context and, and teaches us so much about what's going on back then. And there's also lessons and why it's relevant for us today. And so it says in chapter 11, it says, now the whole earth, and again, this is after the flood now, They've started to multiply again. You know, the, the sons of Noah have had children and the children's children. So there's a couple of generations probably on here. And we find out in Genesis chapter 11, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, now just listen to how many times they, they talk about us, how, how self-centered this all is. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make, a, make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So you just can't miss the fact that this is complete direct disobedience to God's command two chapters earlier in Genesis 9, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to settle here. We're going to make ourselves a city and a tower, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. This is the, the perfect example of what sin is. It's God says one thing, but I'm doing another. This is the, the definition of pride. This is why Satan fell. I will be like God. Mm -hmm. They're going to live for their own glory instead of God. So they want to make a city, and they want to make a tower so they can live independently of God. They want to make a name for themselves. They specifically do not want to be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. God tells them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They specifically disobey that. They don't want that. They want to be unified in their rebellion. And 
I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is the first example in Scripture that we see so much today in the worldview of globalism today. There's a—I really believe there's a great hope in, in the heart of unregenerate man that if we can just be together as one people, if we can just get the right uh, political leaders over us, if we can just join together as one— we're going to be able to make the world a better place than it's ever been. We won't need any of that religion. We won't need God. And this is what is in the heart of man today. And if I if I read you the lyrics from John Lennon's song, famous song, Imagine, that's exactly what he says in that song. He said, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Next verse, imagine there's no countries it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. Imagine all the people live in life in peace. And he goes on in the next verse saying, imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. I mean, you could not describe what this tower of the city and tower of Babel mindset is, or this globalistic mindset that John Lennon wrote in that particular song, and it still exists stronger than ever, I think, even with this coronavirus. You see pushes for this globalization uh, even today. Wow, that's a great, great point, David. Let me take just a very short break. David Wheaton is my guest. You can have head over to thechristianworldview.org. Otherwise, we'll be back in 90 seconds. back with David Wheaton, and we're talking about Genesis. We've been talking about this for several months. I've lost track, but it's been great. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 11, David, and we're talking about the construction of Babel. And so, hmm, I can guess, but why did God break up this uh, this endeavor, this this effort? Yeah, so they're, they're building this city and this tower to build it to heaven to make a name for themselves so they can be independent of God, basically. And so now in verse 5, I'm just going to read those couple verses because it gives, a, again, it gives the reason why God stopped this, put an end to this right away. The Lord God came down to see the city. Of course, he didn't need to come down. He could see it from where he was, but just, you know, just a, a figure of speech, so to speak. He came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. He says in verse 7, Come, let us—again, reference to the Trinity right there back in the early parts of Genesis, Father, mm-hmm. Son, Holy Spirit—come, let us go down and there confuse their language— so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, or Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. And that phrase, the whole earth, the whole earth, it's reemphasized. In other words, this is the explanation for how the earth 
was populated and why there are different languages. You know, sometimes when you just you grow up, you're you're born, you you grow up, you just kind of oh yeah, this big you know French and France and wherever <laughs> you know, Spanish and Spain and, mm-hmm. and so forth and so on. But if you think about it, it's pretty incredible how many different languages there are around the world, and that's all because of of here. I mean, the languages developed, of course, from this time, but this was the first time that people were divided. In other words, God had his way here, like he always does. He, he wasn't going to stand uh, for this uniting of mankind in opposition to himself, because it wouldn't have it ended well. You know, God made man to be incredibly brilliant, but when man is fully united in an, in an unsaved, unregenerate fashion, that they will make themselves gods over having God God. And so I think this is another reason, the opposite of globalism, like we talked about in the last segment, this is why a biblical worldview, I, I believe, advocates for nationalism. Now, this, this often gets a, has a, uh, you know, a pejorative aspect to a nationalist, or you must be a racist. That's not what nationalism is. Nationalism is about individual countries rather than having one global leadership where man is unified. You know, globalism is, is ruled by very few over very many, when there's, there's not very much separation of powers, which our founders were smartly and wisely saw fit in our own, uh, in our own setup as a country, because they knew the sinfulness of man, and when man gets that power, he's going to use it in, in bad ways. But what's the little expression? Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's what globalists have, and that's why Christians should reject globalism, they should reject communism. Look what goes on in China mm-hmm. when you have that authoritarian type unified leadership at the top over very many people. But interesting enough, Bill, this last point in this is this is where the world is going to end. If you read in Revelation, there's going to be some sort of global governance with the Antichrist ruling over the world. And this is why God saw this early on. He stopped it then. But man is always trying to get back to this. There's always this temptation to socialism and communism. And it's just in the heart of man to want to go back to Babel. Wow. I'm just connecting this dot for the first time where they want to build a tower that reaches to the heavens and that the Lord had to come down to see how they were doing. Doesn't sound like it reached very far. <laughs> That's right. No, it wasn't going to make it to heaven, but it's it's building the, the big skyscraper, so to speak, to put your name on the map. Mm-hmm. All right. Very interesting, David. Let's talk, um, if you don't mind, a little bit about just this, um, the way that God scattered people throughout all of the earth. And of course, there's going to be some people living in more densely uh, populated areas, and some people are going to be in much less densely populated areas. Maybe we'd call them uh, urban and rural. Yeah. I mean, have you ever noticed that? Just look at America, that the bigger the, bigger the city, the more dense the population, population, almost invariably, the more humanistic the worldview of that population is. Very you true. Know, the, the, it, it just, it's just the way it is. And you wonder, well, why is that? Why do people, you know, it's kind of like red state America, blue state America, flyover country. I mean, people describe it in lo- lots of different ways, but there really is, and this is, this is a general statement. This isn't, you know, there can be people who are extremely liberal and humanistic who live in the country and the opposite who live in the city. So this is not a completely 100% Loctite thing. But generally speaking, uh, city populations are more humanistic, more have more man-based worldview than people out in rural areas. And you think, well, why is that? Well, I think part of the reason that is, is that when, you, when you're in a city, let's say, picture yourself in Manhattan or even downtown Twin Cities or something like that, 
there's very there's a lot less that you see that's about God and his creation when you're surrounded by buildings that are built by man and concrete and asphalt and everything else rather than in a rural environment where you're constantly reminded of of God's creation all around you when you see trees and fields and animals and so forth and that that's a constant reminder in your mind that oh gee look we need God for rain we we can't live on our own we need the crops to grow we need animals to be able to eat and you know to, for for food and so forth you don't have that as much in a city so i think that's one reason and so why that you get that that worldview difference between the urban and rural people there's a, there's just a tendency in cities to rely on more human strength and ingenuity uh, because man is all kind of cloistered on top of themselves as it was at this tower of babel now what i'm not saying is you know cities are sinful and everyone should move to the country but i think it does go a certain distance to explaining why cities or urban centers tend to be more humanistic than their worldview than rural areas. That is so true. And even when I look at my own home state of Minnesota, our home state, you see how there is much more uh, secularism in the city, and then it gets to be a little bit more conservative as you go out outside the city. That's right. Very much, very much the case. But if I could just add one more thing, you know, the rest of this chapter in Genesis 11, it goes from this, this unbelievable account of, of Babel that explains so much about what's in the heart of man, and it really is relevant for where the world is going today. But right after this, again, you get into this, God gives the genealogy of the line of one of Noah's son, of Shem. Remember, there's Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Mm-hmm. And right after this, this sordid story of Babel, it's so typical of God to to show his grace. And, and right after this this judgment at Babel, he shows his grace, and there's a transition that takes place in Genesis here to, to Abraham, who is the father of all who would believe, both Jews and Gentiles. He's the father of faith. Remember, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. And then, of course, through the line of Abraham will come the, the, the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so there's a huge transition that takes place after Babel, and we're going to be able to get into that next time and talk about how this is the first uh, mention that, you know, Abraham and his family are going to start moving from, they weren't living in the promised land, modern-day Israel, they are living somewhere else, more toward Arabia, and they started making their way, his family, Abraham, and then Lot, and everything happened there, then, of course, the son of Isaac, and then Jacob, and so forth. Everything begins to move to the promised land where God's promises were going to be fulfilled. Well, I look forward to that. Speaking of of uh, more secular and more densely populated places, when you're playing uh, at the U.S. Open in New York, what are the crowds <laughs> like? <laughs> Pretty rough. Yeah, I was thinking they, that uh, might be. Yeah, it's like you 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 don't feel like you're the show when you're on the court there. It's it's the city is the show. You know, it's yeah. a city that doesn't sleep. So uh, and, yeah, that's that's a good example. And yet Wimbledon's a little bit more out in the country, isn't it? It is. It's actually a suburb. Most people don't know that, but it's a suburb that's just southwest of London by about 10 miles. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a little more—it's uh, definitely a quieter little—you would never know you're near Wimbledon unless you actually you know, ran into the fence around the club, because it's in, a really, <laughs> it's in a really residential area. Yeah, a little more civility on that court. Very the, much. Yeah, I thought so. All right, David, look forward to our next discussion. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing the show today. Thank you, Bill. You bet. David Wheaton has been my guest. Head over to thechristianworldview.org. You can uh, learn more about David, of course, over there. We'll take a break. When we come back, Arlene Pelican will be our guest. Looking forward to that.
for Middays with Susie Larson. back and I'm awfully glad to have Arlene Pellicane as my guest this afternoon. She's written a whole bunch of books. Books like Parents Rising, Calm, Cool, and Collected, Growing Up Social, To Becoming a Happy Mom, To a Happy Husband, To Becoming a Happy Wife, and 31 Days to a Younger You. I love it all. Arlene, welcome. So great to be with you. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Yeah. So we're all having a lot of disruptive moments in every part of our life. Absolutely. It's like the weirdness has become normal. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so taken, true. It's taken many weeks to do it, but now it's like, oh, this is normal. We we stay home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And there's all kinds of um, parents that are trying to help deal with their kids' disruptive moments, and it turns yeah. into events in their life that won't won't be happening now. Yes, absolutely. I've got a 6th grader and a 10th grader and an 8th grader. And I've asked them before, you know, what's that disruptive moment? What's that thing that you really miss that you wish, you know, now it's not going to happen that you would happen? And I think our 5th grader, she gets the prize for the, for the, what she say? For the, the, the most pathetic one. <laughs> and that's they've been working on a school play. So they have a beautiful okay. ensemble, 200 kids strong. And this year it's Lion King Jr. and my daughter is Mufasa. You know, oh. so it's her first role. She's been practicing. It's been so exciting. They've been practicing all year. You know, when you look at that get calendar date, it was supposed to happen. You know, end of May, mm-hmm. and you think like, oh, it's too bad. There's going to be a Lion King this year. You know, so there's been moments, and and I think the parent, you just listen to that and you ask about it, and oh, that is too bad. Well, hopefully they'll get to do it again next year. But, yeah, that's too bad. And, you know, we, we you mourn with them, give them that moment to say, yeah, that, that really is a bummer. Because I know sometimes parents were like, oh, chip off. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. <laughs> but just that, give them that moment of, you know, that was a disruptive moment. But there will be another time for Mufasa. That's a big one, though. I have to say, if she's been thinking, planning, preparing, and now it's not going to happen, that's a heartbreaker. Yeah, and you hear that you have that all across the board, you know, games that are not being played, championships that are not being won, you know, experiences, graduations, your senior year, you know, on in my neighborhood, we've got the signs that will say, you know, son lives here, it's class of 2020, and they'll say they're high school, and you, know, and you think, oh my goodness, look at all these poor seniors that are experiencing their senior year, but in a very memorable way, and I think that is one way as a family to frame this coronavirus is to think to yourself, you know, what is silver lining? And for a lot of people, it's, you know, when else could for a senior, for instance, when else could you spend so much time with your senior before they go away to college? It's like, hey, by the end of the coronavirus, you're like, okay, I'm so ready for you to go to college (laughs) Mm -hmm. right now. Whereas before I was bemoaning it, you know, so there is a silver lining to be found. So, Arlene, when you think of the sports seasons that have been canceled and you know, little events um, like, I shouldn't say little events, but graduations and maybe yeah. smaller events like uh, proms or maybe a, there's a, a missions trip that got missed out over right. spring break because they, there was no spring break. And yeah. this will apply to adults as much as it would be kids. But when we have uh, been disappointed, how do we handle those? And maybe what can we do to build some resilience? 
Yeah. And this is actually, again, the silver lining is this is practice. This is practice for life because in life, as we as adults and our kids, they're going to get a diagnosis that they don't want. They're going to have a conflict with future husband or wife. They're mm-hmm. going to get fired from a job. Things are going to happen in life that are not present. So in that way, this is a really good, positive moment for kids to learn, I think, to adapt, to adjust, to, to realize, okay, there are some things I can change but other things I can't change. So if my school is closed, you know, like I can't go there and do anything, you know. So once they realize that, I think that's a beautiful lesson. What can you change? What can't you change? How can you be content? And I think talking and listening with our kids about this is helpful. And then how they see you when they see you and you all of a sudden, your business is going through trouble. You have had your trip canceled, you know, you and they see you. So a lot of it is to, as us parents, how are we modeling being adaptable and how are we pivoting to think, okay, this is happening. So now what can we do to launch a home business instead or whatever the case may be for Mm -hmm. them to watch us become adaptable? So I think in this, that resiliency that's born, I think being able to change and adapt to circumstances and still find contentment because, you know, we, we will laugh at our house like, okay, this is not a deal. We didn't like, for instance, we were supposed to go to Hawaii to celebrate my parents' 50th anniversary over spring break. So that was something we were saving for, planning, et cetera. But you look at that and you think, okay, that's going to happen another time. We were inconvenienced. And you kind of just frame it that way. But this is not, we have running water and we have food and we have a bed. You know, like, like these problems mm, are not yeah. that grave. You know, and so just to help our children to frame it that way, to kind of see, to have perspective, you know, it's, it's hard for an eight-year-old or 12-year-old to have perspective. So you're, you're teaching them a long way. And you talk about the teaching moment. It is kind of a big deal when a significant disappointment comes into their life, yet it's happening under your roof where you can mm-hmm. help them speak truth and hope and encouragement into their life, hopefully, hopefully building their character which is exactly what you want to unleash them into the world with. Yeah. One thing we have found extremely helpful, just for everyone's mental health, is exercise. So we've been exercising, my two girls and I, five, at least five mornings a week, sometimes six, in the morning at 9 o'clock. So nothing crazy. (laughs) We're not up at 6 a.m. or anything. But from 9 to 9.30, we will do this video workout, the three girls. And I tell you what, just like, getting yourself moving in the in the start of the day that's so helpful and what we've done is this small ritual is during the cool down time when we start straining we'll just say like praise to god so i'll say okay shout it out and we'll say god you are faithful and then one person will say god you are true god you won't leave us and we go around and we basically do that you know usually we make two circles around but i am telling you that frames and anchors us and has been so helpful so putting praise wherever you can into your day, that's going to help tremendously. Mm-hmm. You uh, wrote an interesting uh, blog on Proverbs31.org, and uh, just you got my attention immediately when you talked about your little moment as a college student waiting to use a payphone. I'd love for you to <laughs> tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah. I thought, you know, oh, going to college, like many of, of you of seniors, how exciting, how exciting. And then I got there and I was like, this is so lonely. 
this is awful. It, it was kind of like the feeling we have now with coronavirus being in your own home and nothing else. So I wanted to call home. And at that time, of course, there weren't, you know, there's no iPhone 7, 8, 9, 10, or 11, you know. So I was standing in line to use the payphone sniffling and all this business and finally I called home and and got through mom dad I don't like it here and you know what that those things happen it used to be where I was known you know in high school in my church youth group at home it's like everyone knew me but then all of a sudden I was in this new world of college where you are new to everyone nobody knows you you know and so I had that disruptive moment and in that time in my life, a verse that was helpful was Isaiah 43:16, which says, actually, I'm sorry, it's 43:18. do not remember the former thing, nor consider the things of old. So for me, it was like, don't remember your high school, don't remember just being known. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it's going to spring forth. Shall you not know it? I'll make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And you know, in this disruptive moment, we're not sitting on a payphone, but we are sitting on a lot of phones now. Mm. And just for us to think, okay, let's not back to the former things. God will do a new thing in my life after this coronavirus, in my children's life, in my grandchildren's life. And let's just proclaim that God will make a way in that wilderness. And I did end up liking college. It took me a long time. It took me a good semester to get kind of my feet underneath me again. But by my sophomore year, I was like, I love being in college. And who knows, with God's help, when this is, when we're on the other side of this and we've adapted some new societal norms, keep the coronavirus at base, et cetera, hopefully we'll be able to say, you know what, God's doing a new thing and he's making the you know way in the wilderness where we couldn't have found it before. I appreciate your spirit of uh, gratitude, Arlene, because when I come in, to work, I, I have this great sense of humility, and I want mm. to be super sensitive to every listener because I can, you know, we can sort of complain that we're stuck in our houses, but I have a house. Right. I, I have groceries. I can afford to go get them, and I have a job I get to come to. So, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm a little overwhelmed at times, and I, I want to just be so sensitive to the person who wasn't able to pay rent, doesn't have money, and has got debt upon debt, and they just don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. And, of course, we don't either, but I'm saying their situations can be so dire, and I don't want to ever feel flippant like, oh, so we're stuck at home, you know, let's try to make the best of it. And I know that you feel the same way because you speak from a place of great gratitude. Yeah, and I think gratitude is something that is, it pleases God, and it's good for us. It's good for our souls, you know, and it's good to pass on to our children. So if you're feeling, you're struggling with gratitude, you're in a place, and it's like, man, there's not much to be grateful for. I just encourage you, even just put a piece of paper by, you know, by your bedside and go to bed tonight, just scratch out five things that you're grateful for. And I think as you look for more things to be grateful for, you'll see like, oh, I, I actually do have things to be grateful for. And when it's all said and done, say, thank you, God, you're going to help us. And if that's all you got, it's enough. God, you're going to get me through this. You're going to help me. Yeah. And I've been focusing on just wanting him. Yeah. I want him, not what he's giving me, but I just want him. Yes. And the yeah, more I focus on that, the more peaceful I feel because he yep. is available to me all the yep. time. 
And that is a beautiful thing. If I might, I'm not trying to make the coronavirus sound beautiful, but something out of it is think of all of us turning to God, maybe many who would not normally turn to God and who are asking God, who are you? God, can you help me? God, do you love me? And, and, you know, when you are faced with like your mortality, that makes you much more open to spiritual things. So I think that's right, that at the coronavirus, this time and season, that it's our season to say, God, who are you? And God, we want to know you better. Yeah. And I, our station manager today, Neil, was talking about how listenership is, is up considerably. And I started to think, mm-hmm. well, there's probably a lot of people looking for hope, looking for answers, yes. looking for, I've got some spiritual questions I'd like to uh, get answered. Maybe this station here will be able to address my questions. And so, no, I'm, I'm, I just want to be completely humble about whatever situation people are in. We're just, mm-hmm. we, we really deeply care about you. Yes, absolutely. Let me take a little break. Arlene Pelican is my guest. Um, we'll be back in 90 seconds. Arlene Pelican is my guest. You can head to ArlenePelican.com. Arlene, let's talk about um, our expectations that we have, because we're all over the map with expectations, and there's lots of uh, kids, and you know, you can speak to the parents and the grandparents, as well as the uncles and the aunts that aren't going to be able to attend the the, uh, graduations and some of the events that they're looking forward to, and you know, we're going to want words for them, but we also want to kind of manage. Uh, our expectations and then put our priorities on what God has for us. Yeah. I think there is that balance to be struck because I think if we think, oh, we're going to get a million things done today because here we are. And then if we have kids at home, grandkids at home, we have groceries to deliver, whatever it is. And all of a sudden we can't do that. Like that was an unrealistic expectation. But on the other spectrum, I think having no expectations, I am just going to sit here and veg out you know, and watch TV all day. I don't think that's going to be helpful either. You know, my, I have one, my fifth grader, it's been interesting because for schoolwork, it's a distance learning. So they're in the third official week of distance learning, but the teacher will tell them, don't worry if you don't do week one, two, week three, it's fine. So kind of like they're being nice. If you're having a hard time don't worry about it. You don't have to do it. Well, in that sense, I feel like the expectation is too low because then, you know, there are a lot of kids that are going to be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Right. And the thing is, we do need a sense of work. We do need a sense. It's weird when you're working so hard, you think, oh, I wish I had a break. Well, now you, well, for many people, you have the break and you're like, man, now I understand why I need work. I'm going stir crazy. So I do think there should be a reasonable expectation of productivity placed on every human being, whether they are two years old or they're 80 years old, that there is something to accomplish a day. Because I think that gives us a sense of rhythm, a sense of hope, a sense of movement. So if it's just that I'm going to take a walk today, fabulous. Mm -hmm. If it's we're going to do our grocery shopping once a week, wonderful. I'm going to write a letter 
every other day to, you know, my dear friend, whatever it is. But I think having something that you are doing and you're looking forward to and that you will have to tick off your schedule, I think that's healthy. Having expectations for kids to do chores like, hey, we just did there. You guys got the dishes. Those are all very healthy things. I think when we say, oh, you guys get a pass because it's a stressful environment. Okay, once in a while, that might be perfect and exactly what needs to happen. But on a day-to-day basis, I think there are expectations that we should place on our kids that we say to them, hey, you know what? You've been watching one hour of TV. Now it's time for you to go do your homework. Like that's an okay expectation. Now on the flip side of that, you know, I work from home and typically my kids are at school while I'm working from home. And there are many of your listeners that have the same. But now as I'm working, I'm getting things like, mom, how do you spell marauders? Mom, what's a, you know, mercenary? So I guess it's the same book that has these words in it. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm like, okay, if you could stop interrupting me. That, so in one sense, it's like, okay, I'm not going to be as productive as usual. But if I can get these three tasks done, you know, then that's a success. So I think adjusting that bar for some people, it's too high. For some people, it's too low. But but get it just right. And that's going to help your family. Mm-hmm. Arlene, I always, uh, when I read scripture and I see uh, the ministry that Jesus did and, and he w- was regularly interrupted from doing yes. something that he was on his way to be doing. And so he, he dealt with uh, disruptiveness in a pretty unusual way. And I've always said there's nothing inconsequential in God's economy, mm. you know, where, where you go, I met that person for three minutes one day. And now all of a sudden, yes. look what's happened as a result. Right. And you go, yeah. yeah, because there's nothing inconsequential. So right now our schedules and our lives have been so disrupted. And I think, well, what, where's the glory in all this? And I'm speaking as positively as I can, because I have a tendency to kind of uh, go negative uh, way too often. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk myself into being more positive here, but talk about just the, the disruptive nature of the way Jesus lived. Yeah. I mean, he was very intentional, uh, but right. you know, he was on his way somewhere and he got stopped. And then all this beautiful that, ministry came out. And that is what is so interesting. And then you look at it and you think, oh, when he, when, he, when someone touched his robe and he said, wait a minute, yeah. you know, power left me. Someone's touched my robe. That's an interruption. Like he's going somewhere and some sick woman has just touched him and stopped the whole show. And yet that's the moment that that recorded in scripture for us to understand. So it's amazing. Those disruptive moments, those are the headlines. And maybe if we can think about it that way, that the interruptions, they might end up being the highlights. They might be the thing that God uses. Yeah, so true. So Arlene, what about any helpful uh, tips for uh, kids and trying to connect with uh, grandparents and others that are a little bit isolated right now because they can't see them? Yeah. And, you know, there are going to be those tech-savvy grandparents that oh, are yeah. like, you just FaceTime me, buddy, you know. And so if that's if <laughs> yeah. that's your grandparent, you go, you FaceTime them, you jump on Skype, you do things. If your person is not that way, then you just get on the regular phone and, you know, you just talk to them and you they can do that. So you just voice to voice and you talk to them. And we'll have those kind of conversations like, okay, who's called grandma lately? Okay, go call grandma. You know, so those kinds of things. So be calling them. And then I think the old-fashioned letter is so cool. So oh, yeah. this is the time where your kids, even, you know, even your older kids, your teenagers, 
can be writing grandma and grandpa and that they also could drawing for them, doing pictures. They could be sending them things. My one daughter, she likes to knit. And so she's going to maybe knit grandma's scarf, you know, things like that. So I think, you know, obviously if grandparents are in town, then it might be the kind of thing where you're helping them with their groceries and cutting their lawn and things like that. But they're out of town. Then I think those notes, and maybe making videos for them, you know, that kind of thing is a very positive thing. And I think that's a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. Let's just review again uh, how we deal with the disappointments. I mean, do we come alongside and say, I get how you're feeling. And if you're crying, you might even find me shedding a tear with you. Yeah. I think absolutely that, you know, even in my home, we're very upbeat people, but we like to say that, hey, if you feel sad, that's okay. Like, if you're sad about missing your school play, you can be sad about that. That's worth being sad about. But tomorrow is a new day, and and we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. So we try to allow those moments of sadness, but that we do not try to live there all the time, because it says not that sadness of God is my strength, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so there, you know, joy and sorrow, how interesting how it does truly mingle and they do walk together, but to have that joy also, but yes, allow your kids and allow yourself, you know, to feel the disappointment. And you may need to even uh, literally, I've heard Lisa Turker talk about as Proverbs 31 ministry is talking about having a funeral, but what I, sh- but, and what she means by that is let's say you have lost something, you you missed a really huge event that was going to be so important to you. You go outside, you write it down, and you kind of have a funeral, like, you know, all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And say, I, I lay this to rest, and God, I'm really upset and mad that this didn't happen. But God, will you help me to bury this for now? Because this obviously wasn't the right time. But Lord, in your time, will you bring this around again? But allow yourself those moments. And I think that God can do something very special in that. Mm -hmm. And then Arlene, how are you uh, with counsel to your circle of influence? I mean, when you've probably have friends and neighbors and people who either know you well or getting to know you who are maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit on the panic side uh, over what's going on in their, their work and their families and their businesses. Yeah, I I have a, I have some wonderful neighbors who made, um, who gave everyone like a pinwheel to put at their front door so that the neighborhood neighbors are standing together. So I thought that was so cool. And then I have another friend who's got five kids and she sent this, this text, which was so funny. And she screenshotted between her and her husband and wanted to show it to me. And it said something like the husband was really frustrated, like, oh, these kids are driving crazy. And then she texted back, oh, but they're like arrows in in our hand that God's going to launch out. It's going to be worth it someday. And then he sent a a video of someone getting shot, like a cartoon, with like a gazillion arrows. It's so (laughs) funny. It's just like fallen flat. So I, in my sphere of influence, I have people that are like, we're going to get through this. I have people that are like, these kids are going to kill us, and I hope that we make it. And then, of course, we do have those who are wondering, how is my business going to survive? And that that's really hard. Mm-hmm. And then are you um, staying connected as best you can with your, your church community and all that? Very much so. But, you know, it's so, different. it's so much nicer to be able to go in person and see everyone. So we do our online church every Sunday, and something my family does. You can see your pastor that way, and that's great. 
And then um, our youth pastor has different videos that he's been sending out. So there's definitely that connection. And the kids are FaceTiming kids from the youth group and talking to them. So that's all good. But I tell you what, we do long for the day where you can sit and you can hear other people's voices sing and you can see them in person. There's something very special about that. Yeah, I didn't ask you to do this in advance, but I hope I'm not springing this on you. I know there's a lot of uh, families that are feeling the stress. And would you just be willing to just pray for them right now? Absolutely. I thought you were going to have burst out in a song. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> that would be a big problem, but yeah. I can pray. For both of us, trust me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Lord, we just want to thank you that you are with us. And we pray for every listener right now that you will be their Jehovah Jireh, which is their provider, that everything they need from their daily bread of what they need to their business to how, taking care of their family members, that, Lord, you will be there. And that when we feel hopeless, God, you would give us that hope and you would speak to us with wisdom so we would know, Lord, how to make most of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Arlene, thank you so much for doing the show. It's always great to uh, talk to you. Thank you so much, Bill, for having me. Yeah. Take care. Have a great night. Arlene Pelican has been my guest. You can head right to her website, Arlene Pelican, P-E-L-L-I-C-A-N-E, just like it sounds. So that wraps up our show. Thanks for uh, being with us today, and thank you for just being you and whatever you're going through. We're just we're loving you through it together. All right. And so God loves you and we love you. And thank you for listening and supporting Faith Radio. We're excited that we're going to be able to do our spring share next week. And we're already thanking you in advance for participating in whatever way you can. So have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.